Here they come! And welcome to episode 65 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Andrew Glazebrook to discuss the effects in Alien 3. Remember, short controlled bursts. Hello, Andrew. Hi, you're okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. Looking forward to this one because it's been quite a while since we went to the Alien universe. Um, yeah. You and I have both done the first two Alien films, and here we are for the third. Yeah, um, the the the, uh, the the sort of very sort of diverse third, isn't it? Really, you know, it's it's a real love hit with this one with a lot of people. Absolutely, and and I'm and I'm sure with some people. Not you and I, but some people. This might have been the nail in the coffin, and people didn't then go on to four and all the rest of it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as I say, you know, you and I, we've done the first two, so it's, it's logical you're here for uh, number three. Uh, yeah. My first question for you tonight, Andrew, is: What were your thoughts on this film when you first saw it, and does it differ to how you think about it now? Well. Th- this is actually one of the films which we can talk about where I didn't just see it on video. I was actually working <laughs> at the cinema at this point. So, Hooray! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, the, fir- the first thing I remember about this was we did actually get the trailer in, and it was you know maybe it's a Monday, Tuesday morning for the following Friday's trailers, and it was that trailer which used the... Was it music from The Omen, possibly, or That's Omen it. 2? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember putting it on and just thinking, wow, you know, it looks amazing, but it just looks so different from the other two. But I was really blown away just by the trailer. Um, but even then, it was a case of, a lot of this just doesn't seem to make any sense, you know, like, what's going on? So, you know, I did, I did go and see the movie... Um, I probably took a day off, or it was my day off, and I did go and see it with some friends, and yeah, we were split on whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, and I'd probably seen it several other times just while I was working, you know, going the back of the screen and watch bits, um, and then got it on VHS, then got it on DVD, and now we're having the Blu-ray set, and it is, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I can put up with it, I can watch it, I can see its good points, and it does have some very good points. Um, but for me, I think if it was a standalone movie, it would have worked better somehow if, if it had nothing to do with uh, with Ripley. I don't know how you would have possibly done that. But, uh, yeah, um, it, it is a very unusual movie because, I say, it's got so much going for it. But also, as, as people probably know hearing this, just so much went on behind the scenes. Mm. And that is a very sort of weird situation because... You think after the success of Alien and Aliens, you think, you know, they would have just thrown money at this and got a top-notch director in. Mm. But it just seems to have fallen apart somewhere in those, like, six or seven years between this 
this and aliens i think i think yeah. it's the same i think it's the same gap between alien and aliens as aliens and alien 3 which is about six or seven years and you think yeah what what, what went wrong why couldn't the the pull this together you know the last one was a huge success um, you'd think that they've had people lining up of quality mm. to write and direct and yeah it's a very very odd it is a very strange background isn't it you know and um, you, you know there's a huge convoluted tale to how this film got made and you, you know all the problems through production while it was being made but for me I mean before it came out I think I think I would have been looking forward to it more but by the time this came out we had had so many sequels upon sequel upon sequel with the law of diminishing returns on each that yeah. you know it's a case of when you started seeing stills you know in starburst and starlog and you know fangoria it's like mm, i don't know i don't know you, you know and, and especially you know the first two films they were real hard acts to follow weren't they oh yeah yeah I, th I think what the problem was, was it was a case of, you know, Cameron did such a different thing with the second movie, um, a, a very sort of brave thing with the second movie, that when it got to the third one, they were just really, really stuck. You know, what do we do with the third mm. movie? How do we, you know, we either up the budget by another sort of like, you know, 20 million and really go full on war, um, or we, we take it back to the basics. And I think, mm. you know, the taking it back to the basics was you know what they decided on doing with one alien again you're absolutely right because what do you do i mean if you've had the first film which is a very small film with a very very small cast the second one is like a war film as you say well what do you do for the third one that hasn't already been done the only thing that they could have done i feel is actually bring it to earth and then have an earth-wide problem but the budget yeah. wasn't there for doing yeah. something like that was it it's it's always a case of you think you know did anybody ever <clears throat> say to Jim Cameron when Aliens was getting made look Jim can you leave us a, a kind of a back door mm. for the next for the next movie um, and he didn't he didn't leave them any kind of back door for the next movie because for all intents purposes at the end of Aliens when the uh, colony explodes you assume that that nuclear explosion probably takes out the derelict as well uh, within whatever radius you know or you know so I mean it depends how far the the derelict was meant to be but you know if that blasts say you know 30 kilometers is the derelict gone every evidence of the aliens now being eradicated um so what do you do and unfortunately that was the problem it's like when you've got that type of sequel where no one's giving you a back door you've just mm. got to make something up and you see all these theories online as well oh, how did the egg get on board the alien ship and you the reason it got on board the alien ship was just because they had to get one there there yes. was no yeah there's no logical explanation whatsoever. You know, you can think of theoriously blue in the face, but there just genuinely isn't an explanation. No, they had, paint, it... they, they had painted themselves into a corner completely, yeah, hadn't yeah, they? Yeah, definitely. And I like that. I, I like that. I mean, it's the same theory I have with the Star Wars original trilogy. Finish it. It's a happy ending. You know, yeah. if, if, if Alien and Aliens were the only two films made, Ripley's had the happy ending that she's deserved. All this horror that she's gone through over these yeah. two films she escapes she's got newt she's got hicks she's got a half a bishop you know and yeah. they go back to earth the end you know yeah. but then to drag it on you know through another two films um oh, i don't know i don't know I, I i i like the idea of them being just the two films 
and just stop there. Yeah. I mean, from, from the opening of the movie, this is what always got me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a very... I always remember when I first seen Aliens and you first see the uh, the device cutting through the door of the Narcissus, you, you could see the harpoon gun where yes. it was left. And I remember thinking through, that's a really good attention to detail. But Alien 3 starts off with this shot of the Sulaco going past. And the writing is actually written in a different coloured font. It's written in yes. white. Yes. And there's also external light. So straight away that just stood out. I was like, I've got that Aye. wrong. Like, how, <laughs> how did they get that wrong? Yeah. You know, did did Fincher not bother watching the last movie or, or something? And then you cut to the inside where you've got the uh, the cryopods and the difference. They're not mm. even the same cryopods. And again, you know, you're thinking, oh, okay, so I'm three scenes into the movie and we've already got things that are going wrong. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then, you're... And if you're a fan of the uh, of the first two films, immediately the alarm bells yeah. are going, aren't they? Yeah. And then we suddenly have this random shot of this egg kind of plonked up on the sort of, like, the wall-stroke ceiling. Mm. And you're like, well, where's that meant to be? You know, on the ship, is it in the docking bay? Is it, you know, it, it makes no sense as to why it's there. Then we've got the problem of, well, hang on, I thought people had to go up to the egg for the egg to open. So you've just got all of these things going on in the opening montage of the movie that just don't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it does. It, it does set the alarm bells off, doesn't it? You know. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you know, I mean, this film, I wanted to like it. You know, I loved the first two. You know, and as I yeah. say, the first two are hard acts to follow. But it wasn't helped by you know, had a whole mess of the production. Anyone who knows about Alien Three knows about the trouble production that it was. But it made this first theatrical release very, very choppy when you looked at it. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, throughout the film, I thought some of the um, the acting was a bit ropey, you know. Yeah. Um, some of the dialogue was a bit naff. Um, and I don't know if you're the same, Andrew, but a lot of the inmates on this prison colony, I knew from British TV. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. You, you know, the first alien, the only person I knew when I watched Alien for the first time was John Hurt. The yeah. only people I knew when I watched Aliens was, um, you know, Michael Bean, Lance Henriksen, Sigourney Weaver. That's mm. pretty much it. Now, this one, suddenly you've got all these people that were in the Sweeney or the Long Good Friday or Robin yeah. of Sherwood and all this stuff. And it's like it kind of like took you out of the film where you're you're not as involved as the first two films. Yeah. And, and the, the, the sort of downside as well of like having all of these people play essentially hardened criminals is are we meant to actually root for these characters because they're there for a reason, because they are murderers and rapists and things like that so yeah. it's like a case of are we meant to be behind these people <laughs> you know it, they, they're not like they're just colonists or something who she's kind of rallying together um, you know they're there for, they're there for life for reasons so yeah. it's always difficult when you do stuff like that um, you know there has been other movies similar to that you know where you've kind of got sort of the undesirable characters who suddenly become the heroes and you sort of then think about it and think why am I rooting for these people mm. you know that the, they are actually not nice people but for some reason they've made them supposedly likeable 
I think so, in this case, with this film, you know, the inmates that we're talking about, they're given so little screen time, a lot of them aren't even named. So later yeah. on in the film, and they're all dressed very much the yeah. same. So when and, we get and, into the action scenes, you don't know who that is or care who that is uh, when, when anything happens, you know? Yeah, and obviously having the vast majority of them, uh, especially for the Americans, where where they've all got British accent, they've all got shaven heads, a lot of them mm. do look alike. Um, yeah, you know, this was supposedly a problem where they they were like, who who is this guy? You know, who's who's just died? Yeah, you know, uh, they weren't well defined, were they? So, yeah. Uh, but in in terms of like you know the opening sequence, another thing that always kind of got me is you've got this sort of what is meant to be an electrical fire on the ship now on a spaceship for me you've got an electrical fire in the spaceship what do you do you actually then essentially vent the air from the ship yeah you you make sure that you know those people in cryogenic storage so you you vent the air you you extinguish the flames you put the air back in fire extinguished yes it's such a ridiculous thing that they actually jettison the crew yeah, for for what is essentially an electrical fire? Does the ship not have any fire suppression systems whatsoever? <laughs> um, it's a it's a metal spaceship. Uh, you know, there'd be some kind of gas or something, or some kind of water or, or anything that would put the fire out. It just it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. You know, well, what, We'll what? come to that in a minute, Andrew. All right. So I I think we should stop for a a, a clip first. Yeah. All right. And then we'll get into it proper, okay? Okay. All right, let's have the clip. I think it's fair to say that our smoothly running facility has suddenly developed a few problems. I can only hope we are able to all pull together over the next few days until the rescue team arrives for Lieutenant Ripley. It's here. You got Clemens. Stop this raving at once. I'm Stop telling it. you. It's here! You've been mentioning there about the opening sequence. Uh, the thing I do like in this opening sequence is when you do see the face hugger. Because those fingers, the, the the angle of the shot and the way the fingers are, you know, opening, I think that was very neat. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's a, it's a nicely put together sequence. It's it's atmospheric. It, it's well lit and everything. Um, you can't deny that. But it just doesn't make any sense in terms of the continuity of the rest of the movies. Uh, but I, th- I think originally um, he went with uh, was it Jordan Cronenworth who did Blade Runner's cinematography? Yes. Uh, but I think he had to leave due to health reasons. And then Alex Thompson, who was one of my favourite directors of photography, actually took over. So you know, it does look beautiful. It's 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 really really nice looking movie. Um, but then you know, sort of during the sequence where we sort of see the um, the hypersleep chambers, um, it's almost like the hypersleep chambers then kind of jettison, like slide down something, don't they? Into yes. some kind of. Yeah. Uh, separate chamber and then we have that kind of shot of this what is the weirdest escape vessel i've ever seen in the movie i mean it it, it what would you describe it as it looks like a giant door hinge in a way everybody has said it's a door hinge you know yeah. um, apparently it's norman reynolds who designed this um, yeah. but ha- have you got the alien archive book 
Yeah, yeah. There are lots of pre-production um, artwork for this escape device vehicle mm. craft, um, and they don't credit who actually did them. They look very Sid Me to me, but I don't know if they are because there's no name credit. But no, this one that we see on screen is a Norman Reynolds design. Um, yeah. And what what I do remember is if you actually look in the Cinefex, there's a photograph of the miniature where this is actually plugged in, and there's other ones next to it. It's mm. like it's like there's it's almost like the entire side wall of the Salako is made up of these units, mm. um, and there's like a little kind of stairwell and things like that. It's a really nice miniature, um, but yeah, it's just like such a weird thing, you know. It's it, uh, just sort of see drop out the side of the ship. You expect an escape vessel to be some kind of vehicle, not a just like a, a slab in a way. Well, with some... well, yeah. I mean, the last time we saw anything drop out the Sulaco, it was a drop ship, which yeah. became an instant classic. You know, and Halcyon. You know, they produced a model kit of it. I know Halcyon were going to do a model kit of this. But yeah. then they shelved it, and I'm guessing it's because they they realise that nobody's going to buy this, you know, because it's bland, isn't it? Yeah, it, it it is really like nondescript. It's just like a shape. It's um, it it has no sort of front, back, whatever, you know. It's just yeah, it's it's a really really weird thing. Um, you know, even if the crew were jettisoned separately in separate pods. You know, like almost like Star Wars escape pods, and so mm. many of them crashed, and so many of them survived. You know, that would have been different. But uh, yeah, this, this thing that they're in is just bizarre. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mm. I do like the way though when it does detach from the Salako, the camera is behind it, and it falls away from the ship, and then the the camera follows it through the opening that it's made, and then yeah. follows it around as it goes around to the planet. That's a nice shot. Yeah, and you think it, it's really coincidental, isn't it, that they just happen to be passing a planet when this all happens? <laughs> you know, it, it, you think is that is that meant to be coincidence, or was there something originally written that this had happened because of that? Because they could have just been in deep space. Yeah, and the and, problem and, you know, the problem with this this film is, you know, it went through so many rights and rewrites and changes of personnel. Who knows what, <laughs> what the original intention or the original source of this was, you know? Yeah. And and there's a special effect. I mean, you know, as a miniature, it's it's back to the kind of them doing sort of... Where the first two were very sort of heavily in camera, this is back to sort of my, more like motion control blue screen shots, isn't it, really? Um, this was Richard Edland and his team doing mm -hmm. this, so it's like a slightly different feel as well to the other alien movies at this point. Um with the effects and then we kind of get it tumbling down sort of towards the planet don't we and it kind of yes. starts to sort of glow in the atmosphere you know sort of as it's burning up or whatever yeah. um, and, and then it and, splashes down but we'll we'll save the splashing down bit for behind yeah. the scenes okay yeah um and the coastline that that is involved in it but yeah splash it splash down it does this is a special effects uh podcast so we've got to go right the way forward to the next special effects mm. which leads on to the my question i meant to have asked you at the beginning of this when you watched it for this recording andrew did you watch the original theatrical version or what is called the assembly cut i watched the assembly cut yeah good <laughs> yeah 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 because, because the... it, it is an improvement 
Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, when the film first came out, um, you know, a lot of the problems with this, sh- uh, the shooting of this film made it very choppy to me, you know. Um, and I warmed to it over the years, you know, because mm. the first two were a hard act to follow, as I said. And I warmed to it over the years, especially, you know, when Alien Resurrection came out and then we had the AV. P films came out it made it look better but then the blu-ray came out and we had this assembly cut which yeah. is an approximation of vaguely roughly what david fincher wanted the film to look like and it yeah. it, it, it it just it just runs so much better in this version mm. than the truncated theatrical version doesn't it yeah, I believe they did ask Fincher to come back and do it himself, didn't they? But I don't think he wanted to. So I no, think he, he, didn't. He, he, he didn't. He say something about, well, look, have a word with uh, Terry Rawlings and some other guy. They know what was going on. Mm. You know, they, they know sort of the order things were meant to be happening in. So have a word with those guys and they'll put mm. it back together for you. So yeah. he kind of give him sort of a blessing of sorts but didn't really want to be involved as such mm. so yeah. that that's yeah. the re- the reason why it's not like a director's cut as you know as as no you know, i mean i named. mean it's the o- it's the only film he's ever made where he's disowned and he won't talk apart from that initial few interviews you know during the production he hasn't talked about the film ever since has he yeah, I mean, other movies that sort of spring to mind in a similar sort of way, David Lynch's June and uh, Michael Mann's The Keep, you know, the the, the films which the, those people have disowned and they do have a, a fan base and the very good movies in a lot of ways, but also messed up movies equally, mm. um, you know, down to running time, down to production problems, um, you know, so they are very similar um, in lots of ways, some of these movies where the director... Uh, oh, and another one is Sam Raimi's Crime Wave, um, the film he did after Evil Dead. Again, he's disowned it himself. I enjoy the movie. I can see the, what the problems are, but it doesn't stop me enjoying the movie. And uh, yeah, it's sad, really, because you know you think would Will Fincher ever go back at some point and sit down and actually have a talk about this? You know, it's it water under good, the bridge. You know, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's such a long time ago. It's it, he could see what he likes about it now. It's never going to affect his career, is it? You know, it's not like he's. Mm. You know, he's he's a well-known director now. He could go back and re- really tell dish the dirt, I suppose. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, well, the next effect sequence we've got. I mean, here we go. This is the, I, I guess, the um, the most uh, you know prevalent of the differences between theatrical and assembly cut is when we have the 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 burster scene. Yeah, um, and the difference between the original dog burster and the yeah. ox burster. Now, yeah. usually we keep things uh, for behind the scenes for the behind the scenes section, but Andrew, over to you. What's your understanding of what's going on here? Well, the, the ox scene. Um, I mean, earlier on when they're actually bringing the um, shuttlecraft back to the actual colony they do use oxen to pull it you know it's almost like to have those so um we get that kind of shot of them and that makes more sense as to how one got infected but then later on uh, when they did the reshoots then the dogs on board so you know it's a very sort of down to the edit again jumbled up thing the oxen just completely disappear from the other cuts from the mm. from the theatrical cut there's no sign of them whatsoever um, 
And it was initially, I mean, Giga's design was the, called the Bambi Burster, wasn't it? Yes. You know, it was yeah. meant to be like a fawn almost, you know, because it's coming out of a an ox. Um, where I suppose if he knew it was coming out of a dog, he would have designed it differently. Um, but yeah, the, the two completely different sequences. I mean, you know, they both work um, equally sort of gruesome in a way. Um, you know, you do feel sorry for this uh, this poor Rottweiler or uh, Doberman mm. or whatever it is, um, you know, that has that happen. And it's a very um, interesting sequence. But I think, you know, the, the, the idea of um, it coming out of the ox makes more sense for the actual baby version. Mm. Um, and also there's the, the so-called super face hugger we see in that sequence as yes. well, isn't there? Uh, which he kind of just... It's like a it's like a giant face with almost fins, and it's meant to be the queen. Yeah, and it's got like armored plating. It's almost like a crab version, isn't it? Yeah, but again, we've got this like whole problem then getting into the story of well, how many eggs were on board the ship then? If we've got yeah, yeah, what one infected, which is Ripley? How did this other one get on board? That's two eggs now. Yeah, again, so, we're, we're we're getting into this troubled production thing, aren't we? Yeah, and 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 it is very convoluted and intertwined and that. But yeah, no, yeah, from my understanding, that originally it was going to be the ox. You know, mm. it, it was always going to come out from the ox, and that was what was originally shot. Uh, you know, they designed the scenes, they built everything, they yeah. had the animatronic ox, but it just it just wasn't working. So that's when they designed it decided to go to the dog yeah but then in the assembly cut we're back to the ox yeah so you've you've got an anomaly there because a lot of people say the reason why the alien in this alien film is so vicious is because it shares dna from the rottweiler or whatever yeah. you know yeah. if it was yeah. a passive animal like an ox it wouldn't be so aggressive you know so you've got a contradiction going on there yeah, but you could say, well, you know, the, the the humans are fairly passive as well. They're not like a particularly nasty species, but the alien just comes from them. So, you know, you could argue that in a way. Um, it's just that if it's coming from an ox, you, you'd assume it might be even bigger than it, it was. Yeah. You know, if it's coming from a dog, wouldn't it be smaller, maybe? I don't know. It's it, It's hard to say. Yeah, uh, I mean, all, all this talk of all these different versions, do you remember, you know, the aborted uh, toy line of yeah, a yeah. aliens, um, you know, um, action figures, where you had like a, a gorilla alien and all stuff yeah. like that? It, it's very similar to that, where an yeah. alien would take on the characteristics of its host, you, you, you know, animal, wouldn't it? The one thing I do remember from the um, it's from the William Gibson draft of Alien Three was uh, the the opening. What happens is the the people, kind of the uh, I think the Korean or whatever, board the ship in that version of the screenplay. Actually, board the Sulaco and the finds uh, Ripley and Newt and Hicks in cryosleep, but Bishop's cryo chamber is actually fogged over. It's all like condensation in there. So when they actually open it up, what happens in that version is in Bishop's entrails, there's like an actual egg starting to organically grow from the entrails. It's like mm -hmm. a, it's it's like a high. I mean, they are a biomechanical creature anyway. So and Bishop is sort of bio, sort of mechanical, I suppose, because he's part organic because yeah. they have liquids and stuff. And you know that would seem like a much more logical idea that the queen 
when she sort of like put the thing, the tail through him, it's almost like she impregnated him somehow. Yeah. And you know that that is something where you think, yeah, I could be on board with that. You know, I could actually sort of think that is not a bad idea. You know, even though it's it's not a great idea, it's still better than just having sort of eggs randomly show up without any explanation. Yeah. There was a definite yeah. explanation in that screenplay as to you know what what had happened there. So you know that that's kind of like what this is definitely missing, and that's why it mm. becomes such a <clears throat> higgledy piggledy mess. And then we it have is. that sort. Of, we have that sort of shot where I mean, the, I think this was for the special for the um, assembly cut where we actually have the shot of the Bambi burst the stud, don't we? Kind of you know almost yes. like you know wob- wobbling on its new newborn legs. Yeah, and then yeah. it scur- scurries off down the corridor. Um, and then I'm we- reminded now, you know, watching that scene, um, you know, all these years later. Um, have you seen it? I don't. I don't think you've seen um, the last two Alien films, have you? No, no. Give them a miss. Uh, right, right. Yeah, no. The, the 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 last couple, you've got designs that are very much like this, where you've got a spindly legged, you know, uh, creature, which yeah. owes an awful lot, I think, to this um, puppeteered version. Um, yeah, yeah. That you see there, because you know you've got this thing on the documentaries where you see the where they've got the whippet in the suit haven't they and, <laughs> and i was going that. to talk about that in behind the scenes oh, oh we'll, good we'll, grief we'll, yeah we'll we'll go into that then later all right all right let's change subject just briefly because the next special effects we get after that is bishop you know when ripley goes down to the uh to the yeah. to the uh you know to the bins and digs out bishop what are your thoughts now all these years later on the effectiveness of this bishop that we see here it it is it's it's really really well done i mean you know the fact it seems to actually be able to lip sync the words and stuff like that you know and it i think he was on set lance hendrickson mm-hmm. um and uh, they did work out a way to sort of sync his voice up it, you know it's a it's actually a very gruesome dummy that they've, they've made um, I mean, these days it probably would have been done, you know, with actually Lance Henriksen, and they probably would have CG'd in the the, mm. the 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 sort of bashed part of the face. But um, you know, I think it's it's got a very organic look to it. It doesn't look like latex. I think they were using gelatins or silicones at that That's point. Right. So yeah. it, it it does look really really fleshy and slimy, and you know, it's kind of covered in bits of dirt and stuff. So, you know, I think it's good. And the, the eyes sort of quite creepy the way they've done it. So I think it, it is a very good effect still. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do actually like that sequence where, uh, you know, the, it's it's a nice bit of interplay as well between the characters, you know, the, you know, where he says, you know, I like your hair and stuff like that. Yes. It's, it, it is a good sequence. And especially He's still towards, in character, isn't he? Yeah, and especially towards the end where he sort of says, you know, like, do me a favour, unplug me. Yeah. You know, that that's a a, a good sequence. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, one of the highlights of the movie in a way. I think everybody remembers that sequence. Yeah. Uh, it's very I'll well done. I'll tell you what I like about it. I, I, I like when, you know, effects people, they go out their way to come up with an effect where nobody can say that's a man with a bit of makeup on you know there are yeah. bits missing from bishop here and you know yeah. that's not lance henriksen with a bit of plastic on his face you know yeah yeah and it was sufficiently kind of bashed up and 
you, you know, it is in a bad way. And, and you think, well, yeah, he, he couldn't be restored at that point. He was already ripped in half as it was. Now he's even worse condition than he was, you know. Hmm. So, yeah, that is, that is a, a very, very good sequence. Yeah. The next effect sequence, we start to see the adult alien and, you know, we see him in the air ducts and stuff like that. And it is very, um, very quick cuts to begin yeah. with. Uh, where you just will see, you know, the head of the alien and then we'll cut to something else. The editing is very good in that because it's very much like, you know, the first alien in that you, yeah. you, you barely take time to register what's happening before the camera moves away somewhere else. Um, we've, we've, got, we've got this sequence, though, where um, the, the guy who's uh, cleaning the, the, the vents the air out, duct. I, I yeah. think that might be, is it Christopher Fairbank, I think, possibly? Yes, um, yes. And it, it seems to spit acid, actually, into his face. Yes. Which is something it doesn't seem to do any at any other point. And never I, again in and, any film. <laughs> no, it's almost like it only spits it once, you know. Yeah. Um, I think vaguely remembering one of the screenplays, possibly, or even a novelization, I think it's still at quite a young stage at that point when he first spots it. Right. So it's almost like it, it's like a defensive mechanism. I think it's still quite small. Right. So it's, it's almost like it can't spit as an adult, but it can as a, a young, because it's one of the ways it can defend itself, because it's still not, you know, fully grown. Uh, I'm glad might, it says that. that. Yeah, I'm glad yeah, it says that because, you know, from what you see on screen, there's no indication that this is an adolescent or anything like that. You know, it's there. It spits acid at him, you know. Yeah. Um, might as well say it now, but I was going to save it behind the scenes. But that wasn't um, Tom Woodruff in the suit. That was a um, that was a, 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 a basically just a head um, yeah. that was operated. That wasn't tom in the suit yeah i think uh i'm just trying to think uh the the screenplay i i actually got is like like an early it was one of these like you know it was almost like the early days of the internet you know kind of got released online mm. um you, you know around about the late 90s early sort of 2000s and i picked it up from a comic shop somewhere i think it was in new york and uh, read through it and you know there was differences in that and descriptive panels and things. And I'm sure that's what it does say, uh, you know, why it kind of does that. And mm. like you said, it never does it anymore in any of the other movies. And No, no. But it's good because it's a very quick cut scene, which, yeah. you, you, you know, in the original Alien, I mean, that was a, a, a huge contribution to the effectiveness was before you even registered what was happening you'd cut to something else. And the next time we see the alien, it's exactly the same. It's the Charles Dance uh, death scene when yeah. he's in, in the infirmary with Ripley and you've got Golic in his yeah. uh, straitjacket in a bed. And you know the alien's there. You know, yeah. you see it via shadow on the white curtains, don't you? But you don't actually see it. Yeah, it kind of lures itself down from one of the vents, I think. A bit, a bit like, if I remember... You know the one that gets Brett. It kind of almost like comes down hmm. from the from higher up, um, and that's when Golic sees it. But you know, once it's obviously um, killed him through the shower curtain thing, and then we get that sort of shot which was used in the trailer of the it coming right up to Ripley's face. But yes. in the shot before that, I think the first time we see this sort of puppeteered version, almost like a blue screened version. Um, you know, which we'll talk about in the behind the scenes, but it's the first sort of jarring shot for me where you think, oh, that does not quite right. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, um, because it, you can tell there's an optical effect going on with the alien. Yeah, um, this is the problem because you know what you're saying about there in that scene where he goes face to face with Ripley. That's the animatronic puppet, and yeah. before that, with the Charles dance thing, everything's shadow and suggestion. You get a very Parker-like yeah. moment when Charles dance dies and the tongue comes out, and you know you get a bit of skull crashing in. But you get, yeah. you do get a bit of, you you do get a shot of the rod puppet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like now, a brief intercut, isn't it? You know, she kind of very, backs up very, against the wall. Yeah. yeah. Now, a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, um, the CGI in Alien Three was terrible." This yeah. is the this is the thing. There, is, as you know, there is very little CGI in Alien Three, and these moments where you have the puppet alien are not CGI. It is no. a, a a puppet alien that's been composited rather badly yeah but it's there's, not there's cgi I, I think there's only about three cgi shots in the whole movie and they're all towards the end of the film there's the the, the shot where the skull actually cracks yes with the heat and then i think there's the uh, the shot of it sort of jumping out of the molten lava yes. uh they're, they're cg shots but like you said everything else whether it's up on the ceiling whether it's running along they are rod puppetry yeah the uh, only other digital effect is at the very beginning where you see the big uh, cranes and towers and that. They've CGI dust and muck blowing in the winds. That's the only yeah, other CGI thing. Yeah, the, the, there was there was the several shots in the movie which I was going to talk about which really bugged me. It's almost like, what is actually wrong with actually blowing real dust and muck across <laughs> a, a, a model? Um, <laughs> I think we see it la- later on when the furnaces are starting up. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic miniature that you see the, the the picture and you think, wow, yeah, what a great miniature. But then, and it's a, it looks great when the furnaces are igniting. But then you've just got all this dust blowing around, and you you've just got that, black shapes everywhere, haven't you? Yeah, yeah and you think I know what you mean. Yeah, like you you've got the miniature that big blow some real dust across it while you're <laughs> filming it. You know, it's such a bizarre choice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's but almost yeah, like that... sorry, oh, Andrew. It's almost like you know these these days they do things like that with particle effects, but then it had to be composited in. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it just it just looks wrong. One at a time as well, dear oh dear. But yeah. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You say we we get that full size animatronic head for the you know the very famous head to head shot. I mean, they yeah. used that in all the trailers, didn't they? Where oh, Ripley yeah. had backed yeah. up to the wall, and you know he comes along and he you know pulls back his lips and out comes the the tongue yeah, and everything you really know? it's almost like not even drool it's just like water isn't it it's just like it is yeah that's pouring off of him but you know yeah. it's a lovely shot i mean it's a fantastic shot you know and, yeah. and oh yeah Sig- sigourney weaver really sells it in that you know yeah yeah one one thing about the alien uh which always you know i, I didn't really like was the fact that they took the four pipes off its back you know that was a um, supposedly a creative decision i think they did make them uh from what i read and then fincher came in one day and said lose the pipes and uh oh oh well we'll talk about that behind the scenes because i've got a differing story on that all right okay but i always thought the the, the pipes for me as it was in certain shapes kind of the the kind of trick the eye you know, that's what I think they were there for originally, is yeah. kind of like, well, what are those pipes? You know, wh- wh- where they're coming from, what do they do? Um, yeah. 
And I think without the pipes, it just becomes a guy in a suit again, almost. Well, as I say, we'll talk about that in behind yeah. the scenes, okay? Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. Uh, fast forward, next special effects. Uh, Brian Glover in the canteen, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's a problem I have with the film. Um, Brian Glover's accent, okay, yeah, doesn't yeah. help me because I know Brian Glover. I know Brian Glover from Kez. I know Bl- Brian Glover from American Wealth in London. I know yeah. um, uh, bo- Brian Glover from, bo- from, from Bottom. I was going to say the neighbour from hell <laughs> in Bottom. Mr. Rottweiler. <laughs> Mr. Rottweiler. There you go. <laughs> Back to the dogs. So that, in my mind, that is Brian Glover. And yeah. Brian Glover, the wrestler, because, of course, you know, he used to be a teacher. Then he became a wrestler. And I can remember watching him on, you know, um, ITV at lunchtime right. on a Saturday. I can remember <laughs> him wrestling, you know. So this posh accent that Brian um, Glover affects, um, uh, that takes me out of the film as well. Yeah, it it's weird because the, the story I always remember... Uh, this is changing the subject slightly to the Doctor Who was uh, we we obviously seen Bonnie Langford as uh, Doctor sure. Who's assistant, but apparently the Americans actually didn't mind her because they had no misconceptions as to who Bonnie Langford was. Right. Because they'd never seen her in things like just William. Right. Um, and I think Brian Glover was probably <laughs> Lucky similar. Them. You know? Yeah, you know Brian Glover was probably similar. They have no misconceptions as to who the guy is. Right. So, yeah, it's, we've probably seen American movies the same way. You know, we've quite happily watched somebody and thought, yeah, they're okay, but the Americans can't stand it because it's from a comedy show or from or a, a soap or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're so, absolutely you know, it right. Is... It, it, it's like all these icons now that are in the Star Wars films, but we know them because they were in Crown Court or yeah, <laughs> whatever, yeah. you know, or Z cars or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely the right thing. It does take me out of the film a bit, you know, because it's like, Brian, <laughs> you're not being true there, mate. But it literally just does come down at that point and just grab him, and then you kind of yes. drags him into the vent. You see sort of blood coming down. You see the little ball, he's like stress ball sort of dropped to the floor. <laughs> uh, so it's it's a very sort of, you know, you don't really see kind of what happens to him as such. There's no graphic shot or anything. It's just no a lot of blood. Well, Tom Woodruff says that this is the very first thing they ever filmed with the alien and the suit wasn't finished and that the hands didn't match the colours of the arms. Now, I've paused it and paused it and you can't see it on the Blu-ray, but I'm sure I'm going to try and dig it out and put it on the Facebook page. There is a shot, there's a publicity photo of um, Brian Glover bless him, mug into the camera while these hands are grabbing his head either side. Yeah, they and just yeah. kind of come down and kind of clasp his head yeah. on from yeah. either side. Yeah. But in this photo, yeah, I think his hands are sort of, I don't know if it's like neat latex, um, but right. yeah, his hands are kind of like creamy coloured and the arms are the usual alien, you know, black and grey. I'll put that yeah. up on Facebook and you can have a look. Alright, yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, but... Well, um, one jump jump forward to the next sequence jump forward the first time we see the whole thing it's after the fire that they've had in the tunnels and yeah. it's the puppet version um, that's right and yeah it, and it's, again it's the flames. yeah the puppet version it, it's all right it's moving okay it looks okay but it's put into the picture really really poorly yeah uh, from what i understand it was actually it it was composited in 
but using a, an, an electronic system, wasn't it, as, as far as I remember? It was one of the first... I think they were using laser discs somehow um, to actually physically be able to see where the, the puppet was going to fit in, but I'm sure it was like the first sort of digital composite systems yeah. they were using. Uh, they weren't optical. Um, but, you know, what's always fascinated me in the behind the scenes is when you actually see them physically marionetting the puppet, it's got some great motion to it. You know, yes. it, 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 it actually does move really, really nicely. And you think, I'd love somebody, if they could get all the original raw footage, go back and actually recomp this. Mm. And and do the, the the proper shadows. It could probably look really good, you know. And actually, not I'm saying not replace it, but just recomp it. Yeah. Um, because I think that's what it was down to. It was just the bad composite work. Uh, but that shot of it in the flames isn't too bad, actually. It's one of the better ones. Hmm. Um, for me. Um. And I do remember. I think there was a shot of that possibly in the Cinefix. I remember then when I seen the movie and it wasn't in. I think you know, obviously that was a shot that was cut, but then finally got to see it um but yeah the, the, the i mean the, the the sequence where they're actually sort of up in the vents and stuff works quite well as well and mm. then then there's that great shot where obviously the fire uh, explodes and you get that shot of the corridor where all the flames come rushing down yes. yeah and and i think um they did this kind of sort of they shot the corridor, then they built the corridor, which was entirely black, and just blew, blew flames down it, and then comped yeah. it over the top, you know, and it has a really nice, it's a, it's a great sequence. Yeah, apparently uh, it's a merger of, um, um, you know, full-size actual flames and miniature flames, and but yeah. it's been edited so well, you can't see the join. But the, the, the downside of the sequence is we've got back to this problem of who exactly dies in that fire because mm -hmm. a lot of these are quite nondescript people so yeah, you see them flying in slow motion on fire and it's like who are you then you know? yeah and then i think at the end of that sequence it's almost like they've got like a cart with several bodies on but you're thinking who did we lose there yeah uh, yeah you know i'm not 100 percent sure which ones went it's uh, very confusing yeah definitely yeah, but they trap it in the toxic waste room. Um, yeah, like a like a big steel like well lead vault, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, and it's like that's it. End of story. Unfortunately, Golic comes along because yeah, you know Paul McGann, and yeah. uh, again in the assembly cut you see more of Paul McGann, so you understand where he's coming from a bit more, and yeah. he believes it to be a dragon, and he kills the guy who's standing on the door and opens the door. Yeah, that's um, it. Back out. Yeah, and Golic is killed off screen. We never see that. And we see it running away. Again, just an atrocious, <laughs> you know, composited yeah. shot, that one. Yeah. Yeah, the, you know, if you listen to the interviews with him again, he obviously, he obviously says, you know, when you first went to see the movie with friends, it was a case of like, oh, uh, okay, I'm not really in it much. But then later on in the assembly cut, it it does make a lot more sense as to who he is, what he's yeah. babbling on about, you know. Um, yeah, I think it's a dragon, a demon, or whatever. And it's it's obviously to do with the whole sort of religious side of the story yes. as well, isn't it? You know, the the the, the life is that found God at the sort of, you know, arse end of the universe, I think they sort of say. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you've got you've got that side of the story. So, you know, it, it, and, and, and this is then harkening back, obviously, to the... To the, to the uh, William Gibson, not William Gibson, the um, the other guy did the story about the monks, 
Um, Vincent Vincent Ward. Vi- Vincent Ward. Yeah, this is back yeah. to the Vincent Ward. So we've got oh, we've got a real amalgam of yes, um, you know, of, of various and and the, even the David Tui one, um, the guy who wrote Riddick. Even his sort of, I think he wrote one of the very first ones. Um, we'll talk about that as well. But there's lots of elements from all of these screenplays have been just dragged in. Yeah, you know, like hey, like what about that bit from that? We like that. What about this bit? We like that. You know, and bring bring them all in there. So there's there's lots of little bits all over the place. And unfortunately, I think the audience picks up on it because it is so disjointed. There are so many things, as you say, from different aspects, and to put it together, it can't yeah. help but to convey this disjointed nature to it. You know. Well, well, the, the sequence that always got me, and it's a nicely sort of lit sequence. It's nicely sort of um, staged but you've just got this sequence where the three guys are in the kind of the vents and they've got candles and it's almost like the sort of mapping the vents somehow this is when you know one of the the first ones gets killed um, when Gollick's actually with them Um, but you think what are they actually meant to be doing you know they've got they've got schematics of the, the the facility what you know when he says about the candles are blowing out or something, he says something about, you know, someone's going to have to go down and light them. But there's no real explanation as to why these no, three no, guys no. are down this corridor with all these candles, you know, like in, in and out all of these different vents. Um, yeah. It just makes no sense whatsoever in terms of the story. <laughs> yeah, it's a great sequence. But when you, like, look back and you think, mm, yeah, what were they doing? You know, they yeah. were almost like, oh, we need, we need three characters to kind of be away from everybody else to get them killed. You know, so yeah. oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, it was the David Tui version, um, which I think was the very first version actually ever written, um, and this is the, the first one that actually features like any kind of convict, because you've got this kind of story in his version, um, and this is pre Jurassic Park. This is the story where you've got um, kind of like an asteroid field, and you've got a ship going through the asteroid field, and it's bringing the asteroids in. And kind of crunching them up, you know, grinding them up and things like that. And the ship detects this um, alien life form. So the guy goes down to the room where all of the asteroids, you know, all the bits are getting broken up. And he pulls this chunk of what looks like amber out. And inside the block of amber, he holds it up to light, is the face hugger. It's actually embedded in. And then it cuts to um, later on, like, you know, possibly like a year later. And you've got this space station orbit in Earth called Moloch Station. And in the space station, you've got science going on, but you've also got prisoners in a foundry. And the you've kind of got the... It's almost like you, you don't... There's no full alien in this in terms of as in the life cycle. You, the, the face of what they've actually done is had to just extract the DNA from the face of in the amber and try and build an alien. So that there's no, like, you know, face hugger, there's no egg. Um, no chestburster as such they've actually grown aliens and they're using the prisoners almost as like kind of you know sort of test testing the the aliens you know see how vicious they are uh, but this is the first story that actually features the early um, uh, the prisoners as such mm. um, but the main protagonist in this is kind of like you've got two you've got the the kind of the guy who's on on the space station, he was not like a hardened criminal, but he's been sent up there due to fraud or whatever. And then you've got the the medic who he befriends, called Packard, and she's like the Ripley type character. 
you know, the sort of joint forces. And uh, But there's lots of sort of different types of aliens in that story, like one which can kind of dislocate its joints and get through small spaces. And you've got one which I think can almost like become translucent, like a chameleon. So they were really exploring like different types of alien in that uh, screenplay. Uh, and it didn't have Ripley in it. That was the thing. She's mentioned, I think there's a sequence where he's looking through some medical files and he finds this thing that just says Ripley deceased. But right. you don't know why it says that. And I think the whole point was that, you know, they were going to jump possibly to a fourth film and maybe explain what that was or, you know. So it was just a case of if they couldn't get Sigourney Weaver back, because yeah. I think at this point she wasn't that interested in doing the third one again, uh, you know, they would have gone with this story. So... All of these different screenplays, some have Ripley, some don't have Ripley. Some have her just at the beginning, like I think the William Gibson one, and she's written out again quite early on, um, you know, in, in, in part of the story. So, um, you know, th- this this same movie, um, what we're talking about now, would have sort of worked if maybe these people on this planet like whether it, or just a random ship of the crash with the alien on board, you know, yeah, and yeah. you wouldn't have necessarily had to explain where it even came from. Um, you could have just started off like a new adventure or they could have even like discovered it actually in the bowels of the planet where the mining or whatever, you know, mm. the sort of like a, a cavern with alien eggs in and, you know, you can, you can reinvent, but once you get Ripley back into the mix, then it's got to be about her and, yeah, there's a certain path you have to follow then, isn't there? Yeah, you know, and that, that's the sort of like the the downside. And, you know, wh- why for me they didn't keep, you know, I mean, you could have been kept alive. You've got, a, you know, you've got this woman and this girl on this planet of criminals. And then you could have still had Hicks survive as well. And, mm. you know, Hick, Hicks could have died in the course of the movie somehow, but give him a decent death. Mm. Um. But yeah, you know, it, it just sort of it it soured everything, you know, having yeah. those kind of characters killed off in the opening of the movie, and then just sort of having Ripley left. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying there about having lip service, I mean, the next time we have an effect, uh, it is a very good example of that because they've decided to herd it into the furnace, and all of a sudden Ripley decides she's going to wander off and go and find the alien. Yeah, yeah, you know. Which he does. I mean, we have a bit of a rubbish, you know, false scare with a pipe full of crickets. Um, yeah. And the alien comes down and climbs down um, to stand in front of her. And it's clearly there, um, yeah. you know, to Tom Woodruff in his suit, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And then it cuts shot straight away then to uh, um, the, I um, was it, not McGann, um, Charles Dutton. Yes. Yeah, Charles, Charles Dutton's character returning back to one of the cells and Ripley's just suddenly stood there and she says, it won't kill me. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very weird choppy cut that, um, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, the, I'm a bit sort of mixed on the suit. This, when you see some stills of it, it's a very nicely done suit, but it, it, it's the first suit that kind of starts to sort of getting to this element of being slightly organic. Yes, it it seems to have lost some of the biomechanics of the original yeah. suit. Um, it, it's getting into the realms of like what pumpkin head almost look like, with like kind yeah. of like the the kind of the really kind of like high rib cage, yeah, um, and kind of almost like sculpt, sculpted abs. Yeah, you know, 
And it's it regular do- sized as well. I, now I know, you know, in the original Alien, you know, you had this uh, this guy who was like what seven two or whatever. And in the film, there was never a shot where you could really see that that person was as tall as they were. But in this film, you really do get the feeling that you know the alien is just like a regular Joe, body yeah. shape wise, isn't it? Yeah, and, it, and it's this kind of thing as well as it, it, when it stands in front of Ripley, it's suddenly on two legs, but then later on it's on all fours and it yeah. runs. And it, it, yeah, what is it? Is it is it upright or is it running? Um, you know, it, it's almost like again, it didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah, I mean, the next time we see it, it is the four version, uh, f- sorry, four legged version, and it's toying with its victim again. Yeah, very bad. Uh, compositing. And oh, then it where, where they find it in the corridor and it's almost like attacking somebody and it's just Yeah, this, yeah, it's sort of like playing with him. Like you know, j- like a cat about. plays with yeah. a mouse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, he, and he throws the does he throw the thing at it? It's like he's flaring yes, it or something. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then straight after that, the worst thing in the whole film for me, if I have to say one thing that I don't like about Alien Three, and it's the POV shots. Yeah. Okay. Of the alien, because while it's done well, it infers that the alien can see. Now the alien is alien. It's alien to us. We don't understand the alien, its motives, how its body works, mm. its functions, whatever. Suddenly, we know that it can see. We know yeah. what it can see because we're looking at what it's looking at, and we know where it is at every point in the film from now on, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the the aliens in pitch black, you see the vision and you kind of see what they see, but that's because they can only see in a certain amount of light or the mm. predator can only see in a certain spectrum. But yeah, the alien, we don't really see what it can see. Um, and it also, in those POV shots, it seems to be moving quicker than it almost is. It's that problem of you've got somebody running and yet in the POV it seems to be absolutely darting and you think it would have caught him by now. <laughs> so there's, yeah. there's a real... Mix and and a, a lot of people do say again, who's who's getting killed in that end sequence? You know, um, that's what I was because... about to say. I mean, in this bit now with the POV, you know, it's very confusing. Apart from the main characters, you know, everyone else that they they've all got the same clothes on, they've all got the same haircut, and it's like, who's that? Who's that? Who's yeah. that? All yeah. the way through, you know. Yeah, and you've got that shot where um, one of the guys would just be. The, when they're going to sort of start the, the 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 press, and it kind of like comes in from the side and grabs one of the bodies and drags it back out mm. really really quickly. And again, it's a, it's one of the puppet shots. It's not great optical effect. Um, that's what really lets it down. You know, it's it's the opticals. It's not you know, the the miniatures are actually very well done. Yeah, the the puppetry is very well done. If it's a lot of the optical composite work, it just doesn't work. Um, I mean the, we, Pete, the Pete Postlethwaite bit where he's going here kitty kitty and you look yeah. up and it's on the ceiling that's a terrible effect the the, the composite in, in that is awful yeah I, I'm not I'm not too sure how they've done the shadow that might possibly be a, even a, like a, a digital shadow because it's I think a very it is. yeah it's a very weird shadow that it's not real is it that's not real at all yeah you know why not put sort of Tom Woodruff in the suit on the floor and just fill him it like upside down yeah. so it looks yeah, like yeah, he's yeah. on the ceiling. You know, you could have easily done that. Um, you know, they get the idea that the alien can be on the ceiling or on the walls. Um, 
Because, I mean, that's what you get from the point of view, don't you? You get shots where it's side on, like the alien's actually physically running along the wall. You know, all the point of view shots aren't actually sort of parallel with the floor. Some are actually at like, an, you know, a, a 90 degree angle. Mm. And it, it tracks around. So you think, yeah, are we, am I meant to believe that the alien's actually physically running along the wall here? Mm. Uh, which probably is, because if it can be on the ceiling, it can run along the wall. Yes, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but there is one shot of it running past. I think it's one of the ones where it kind of uh, someone's waiting by one of the doors and he, he, it runs and it through. And runs through, yeah. And then, yeah. and then he says, door so-and-so, she's secure. That yeah. wasn't an actual bad shot. It's yeah. you know, it's still obviously composited, but it was one of the better moving ones. It was quite nice motion to it. Yeah. it, it like skips sort of through the door and then he, he, he slams it down. Yeah, I, I tell you another thing I don't like uh, a little bit later on is when you see the alien is painfully eating one of its victims. Um, yeah. So it's like what the alien eats people, but then yeah. that just makes it into a regular animal, doesn't it? Yeah, just you a know? monster, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like no aliens don't eat people. Yeah, it's 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 weird in a way, like as to what the alien is actually meant to do you know in the first film we don't really know what it does with its victims unless you watch the special edition and mm. I don't really like the special edition and then in the second movie it's a case of we do know what the alien does it just kind of puts people on the walls as become hosts for more aliens um, you know it doesn't seem like it really needs nourishment um, it can su- survive in a vacuum so it yeah. doesn't need nourishment <laughs> So yeah, in this one, when it's kind of yeah attacking somebody like that, it's like mm, that doesn't really work yeah. anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to the end of the film now, and we'll go to the bit where the alien is in the trench. There, um, yeah. It's painfully obvious now that it's just a regular sized guy in a suit, isn't it? Yeah. That, yeah. That there's nothing to detract from that. No. No, and they pour lead on it. Um, yeah. And you, which at least I, at least that was a different thing wasn't it you know it's 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 quite an interesting idea to sort of yeah but are you supposed to believe that that's the end of it because you know um almost immediately it jumps back out again and that's meant to be like the shock moment isn't it yeah 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 i I think you do know it's coming back but um i suppose it it beats blowing out of an airlock again for the third time Um, this is true yeah yeah seeing as we're not actually in space at this point yeah um but yeah, the, uh, there's a couple of uh, digital shots of it physically climbing up the yes the, the side of the pipes, and then when they decide to actually douse it in cold water to blow it up, uh, there's that one close-up of the actual. Well, we, we we haven't talked about the fact that the alien now has its kind of skull back, has it? Its skull cap in this movie. This is true. Yeah, the the um, the, the dome is back on for this. Film, yeah, yeah, they've it? gone yeah. back to the uh, to the dome. So you do see the sort of dome kind of crack, and that was a digital effect. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, besides that, um, you know, the, none of them were digital, uh, but just in those last few shots, and yeah, it, it was an okay effect. I mean, it wasn't It's brilliant. okay. It's okay. Yeah. But what you've got to bear in mind is that when they made this film, it was exactly the same time that Terminator 2 was being yeah. um, in production. And, you know, it's CGI in its infancy, isn't it? And yeah. depending on the people who are, you, you know, involved and the amount of money you've got, it can vary an awful lot in what your final result is going to be. Yeah. 
Then you've got this thing with Terminator 2 of him being lowered into the lava at the end and then Ripley going into the lava. Yes. So it's yeah. like, you know, there was comparisons. And, you know, it, I'm sure it was purely coincidental, nothing to do with anybody leaking story ideas. But, yeah, it was... A... No, it's one of those um, happenstance things, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. before she goes into the lava, we we get Bishop. Or is it Bishop? You know, this uh, Lance Henriksen comes in with his crew and... Uh, he gets hit um, on, the side, a, on the side of the head. The side of his head. Yeah. And his ear almost comes off. Yeah, it's uh, like now. hanging off the side of his head, but there's no white fluid coming out. It looks like it's it, got... That's what I was about to say. There's all like this speculation. Blue. Is he an android? Is yeah. he another version of Bishop? Or is he the original person who the Bishop models are based on? And it's clear from watching it... He's got no milk coming out. He's got blood coming out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then people say, well, actually, if he's a human being, he's got blood coming out. He's pretty chatty. After this has just happened to him, he's at yeah. that yeah, 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 the mesh fence. But apparently in one of the drafts, he was meant to have died then and there. You know, that was right. the end of him. But then yeah. it was yeah, 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 a rewrite, and he got back up, and oh, I'm better again. So <laughs> it just seems a bit ear, uh, weird that you've got this ear hanging around almost into his <laughs> nose oh, yeah. and I mouth. Mean, it, you know? it, it probably is like, hanging off, and you think if he was human, then he'd be in absolute agonies, you know, and, and holding it. But yeah, yeah if it, I stub my toe. You know, yeah. that's the end of the world. You know, I'm, I'm God pretty knows. bad after a paper cut. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know about this ear. You know the background on the ear, don't you, Andrew? Uh, no. Go on, fill me in on that. It's Jack Nicholson's ear. All right. Okay. It's a, it's a casting of Jack Nicholson's ear from Batman. All right. Okay. They still had it at Pinewood, and yeah, that <laughs> Lance Henriksen is actually wearing Jack Nicholson's ear in this moment. Ah, oh. oh, I hope he got credited for it. <laughs> he might have got a lot of money for it, you know? Yeah. There's a bit of him on screen. He should be paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a very, it's a very weird sequence, that, isn't it? It is weird. It, it, and, and again, it's one of those things, and there are many in this film, that kind of make you go, huh? And suddenly you, you're, you're, you're not watching it anymore. You've been pulled out of it a bit. I'll tell you what else I always thought was quite amusing was this team of scientists that come in, appear to have what just looks like, like a really, really flimsy looking cage with them when they ask mm-hmm. about the beast. And you think, what, do they expect them to like, put it inside that? You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not anything heavy duty. It's just, it looks like almost like when you go to a supermarket and they've got that kind of cage thing with all the milk stacked up. Yes, yeah. It looks kind of like they've got that. You know, it's, it's li- like it's it's little more than the cage I put my cat in when I take it to the vet. You know. Yeah, you think? <laughs> uh, well, good luck trying to catch the alien in that, mate. You know. Yeah, I do like the guards, though. I, I've seen an, an awful lot of people um, recreate the costume and try and source the, um, you know, parts needed. I do like the design of these, uh, the, the, the this military wing of the science that turn up as well. That 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 yeah. really cool designs. And and that almost like what they're wearing almost like makes you think other kind of prepared to be splashed with acid, you know. They've got mm. like the helmet and they've got the padding, and you think is there was there again more to that originally, you know, as in it is a protective armor mm. because they know they may be fighting a creature that's got acid for blood. 
Yeah. You know, is it yeah. like to neutralize it? Is it just, you know, extra bit of protection? But there's no real explanation as to who these no, guys are. No. They've got pulse rifles. Yes. But, <laughs> you know, I don't think they're necessarily colonial <clears throat> marines. I don't think so. No, not at all. All right. Well, the last effects we have is when Ripley sacrifices herself, or yeah. does she? Because, <laughs> you know, she 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 leans back she falls into the furnace now here we go with the whole you know theatrical cut and the assembly cut in yeah. the in the theatrical cut as she falls the queen face hugger comes out and she clasps it and yeah. they both fall into the fire but that's not what david fincher wanted he, he was fighting against it he said she should fall into the fire without the thing coming out because then it's a sacrifice yeah if she yeah. falls and the thing comes out her chest she stops sacrificing herself before the thing comes out and she becomes a victim who then mm. burns you know yeah 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 i was never that keen you know it, you think it's been in there all all that time why is it suddenly decided to come out now and even yeah. if it did get out of a chest where's it going to go it's, where's it going to go <laughs> it's going to end up in the lava anyway isn't it so mm. Yeah, it was just a, a, a corny sort of sequence, really. I'm, I much prefer it with her just falling in. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of just get those sort of final shots of them locking down the facility, don't we, really? And, yeah. And you think, yeah, I always thought as well, storyline-wise, you've, you've got this kind of corrupt sort of agency, you know, the, 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 the scientists and stuff. Would they really take that lone prisoner with them? Who's going to be the witness mm. to the fact if they just said, there, chuck him in the lava? Yeah. You know, no no one's going to know, you know, yet they just, it shows you them taking uh, the last, uh, I can't remember, Danny somebody, the collie actor. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah, they're taking him out and he has like one last look behind him. And they say, go on, move on sort of thing. And you think, well, where, where are they going to take him? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They might as well just put a bullet in his head for, you know... In a way, because that's who they are as an organisation. It would be in keeping with everything yeah. they've done so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like if he'd have tried to do something and they just shot him dead, then it was like done and dusted. I don't think there's ever been any kind of comic book or novelisation that follows what happened to that guy. No, you know, you know <laughs> I think that's just, the end of him. Did they just drop him on another prison planet or what? You know, they might as well have just left him there by himself. He should. <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's it's, the it's, end. It, yeah, it's very very weird, and then we just get that kind of replay of the end message from early in, don't we? Yes, yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. I can remember seeing people going out, you know, going, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. because there wasn't any positive resolution, and you know, in Hollywood, you need a positive resolution at a film. Yeah, there's no sort of thing where you think, oh, there might be another one, and there's nothing to say. Well, that was a nice, you know, che you know, cheerful ending to the movie. Yeah. It was. It was like it was fairly depressing, really. Everything's been sorted out. Everything's been tucked away. No, not in this film. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with the film over, we're going to behind the scenes, and you know, we've been talking about this all the way through. You know, anyone who's a vaguely a fan of the Alien series knows this film. Well, it had a horrible time, didn't it? Um, yeah. uh, you had a troubled lead up to the production. You had changes in leadership. You had storyline and folk coming and going like mad. Uh, there was a very hasty uh, pre-production uh, time, yeah. um, meaning that things were strained from the get-go. I mean, apparently, you know, you get this sort of information that 
there was never ever a finished screenplay even you know right at the end of production it was a case of things were getting made up on the day mm. uh you know there was never like someone ever said there's the screenplay it really was just a constant work in progress you know the the, the said fincher was often up the night before writing's next day's scenes yeah. you know changing see stuff. that's not good that's not good no. No. All right. What gets me as well is on some of these documentaries, Ridley Scott appears to have actually visited the set because he's he interviewed did. on, um, yeah. you know, and he's actually there. And and the set he's in is quite weird. I don't think it's a set that appears in the movie. It appears it's to be not, in front of no. almost like a like a like a window of like almost like a chapel. No, it, it, it's one. It, it's back in uh, Pinewood when Vincent Ward was still, you know, on board, and right. they were doing the whole, you know. The, the the very religious prison planet thing and yes in those Ridley Scott things yeah you have got aspects from that which was all junk yeah. how yeah. much money was wasted on this I I shudder to think of you yeah know. I mean Ward still gets kind of screenplay credit doesn't he um, yes you know at least or some st- some story credit anyway because I think you know some of it was based on him on his ideas but. Mm. Uh, it is that kind of situation of like, let's hire a director who's going to bring something new and original to the movie, but as soon as he starts to bring something new and original <laughs> to the movie, we don't like it. We've had this lately with the Star Wars films, haven't we? It's like, oh, come on, give us that. And it's like, oh, we don't like that because it's not like everything else, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But brought on t- board... I- Sorry, Andrew. I was going to say, I'll tell you what I, I always thought was weird about the the production design in the movie and it's it's more in these sequences with the oxen is that set has got like a very kind of art deco art nouveau sort of mm-hmm. look to it it's a very tiled room and it's it's a, it's a really weird set when you see the pictures of that set in the various books and online you think what what would it, it feels almost like it's from another era mm. you know and, and you're thinking there's there's a lot of it like that actually production design like um uh, Brian Glover's office. It, it it there's just something about the design. It feels like it could almost be Victorian. Yeah. It's it, it it kind of has a little bit of that kind of what obviously happened in Alien Resurrection with the um, the, the the French guy. It has that sort of feel of uh, the city of lost children or delicatessen. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's already got this weird sort of like. Well, we're not on board a spaceship, and we're not kind of in a a room full of BP blinky lights here on the planet it feels like it it feels like a kind of like a real facility and what i always say to people about the first three alien movies is clothing wise especially everybody seems to be wearing things that seem real um you know whether it's kind of overalls or jumpsuits or whatever but by the fourth film i think it kind of become much more designed in the vince uh, in the uh pierre juno one um everything ripley's wearing Seems very designed. She's wearing this yeah, kind of that bodysuit thing, yeah. bodysuit leathery thing with straps and stuff. Uh, it seems much more kind of like in the realms of comic book. But the first three films, I think, are very grounded in reality. Yeah, uh, you know, including uh, Charles Dance's like medical bit again. It feels very Victorian. It's, yeah. it, it it actually has stained glass windows, if I remember rightly, as well. Mm. That, that room he's in, uh, or they've certainly got leaded windows in there. Um, it, you know, the, the I, I just like to know the thought process, you know, behind all of this. Um, you know, who, who whose version of the film did some of these ideas come from? You know, did Fincher approve these or was he given these sets? You know, we've already built this. You've got to have it. Yeah. Yeah. 
It is. It, it's a massively convoluted film, this, mm. and it, it, as you say, it's hard to um, gauge just who did what, you know. Yeah. Um, consistently... I, I will, I will... Go on. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, Eric, you go on. I was going to say, the, 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 the mainstays of this film... You had Norman Reynolds, didn't you, as production designer all the way through. You had George Gibbs. He was doing the physical effects. Uh, Richard Edlund's Boss Films was doing the... uh, Miniatures and Opticals. Miniatures and Opticals, absolutely. And then there was uh, Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis, who who had worked on Aliens, were on this. They They were through it throughout the whole making of the film. But there were so many chops and changes through the film. It's hard to gauge just what was designed when and for who, you know? Yeah. I, I think one thing that you could possibly say when we've just mentioned all of what was going on there, and then you mentioned the miniatures and opticals, this is the first film where the miniatures and opticals are actually getting done in a different country. Mm. You know, where, on Alien, all of the miniature work was done in the UK. On Aliens, all of the miniature work was done in the UK. People came to us, but Edlund stayed in the States. Yeah. So he's essentially doing kind of like puppet shots without really Fincher being able to actually be one-on-one. Yeah. Because they're probably working on stuff while he's still in the UK, possibly putting an edit together and things like that. So, you know, it... it I don't think that's a good thing when you've got the departments so far apart, you know. No. Um, you know, it would have been better if he'd have said to Edlund, look, you come to the UK, set up a shop here. Um, and there might have been much more of a cohesion in some of those sequences. You know, he could have seen the miniature that they built for the uh, for the outside of the foundry and said, yeah, let's just blow some real smoke and dust across it. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> That would have is, helped which is probably what they would have done, but for some reason they didn't, and then we end up with these awful optical effects. I yeah. think it's the same as well as we get that shot where the sort of the recycled Salacos actually landed, um, mm. and you kind of, it's all very backlit, and you get all the troops and the scientists walking, and uh, again, we've just got these black specks all whizzing around, mm. which just look incredibly pasted on. Um, you got that... If if we go back to the um, to the earlier shots though, in terms of the uh, assembly cut, you get those fantastic matte paintings by I think it's Lane Liska of all mm. of those uh, cranes on the on the coastline. Yeah, and they're absolutely amazing. I mean, they're great shots. They're, they're beautiful shots. Those, uh, and it really kind of like gives you an, a, an outside look of what the the place looks like. Mm. Um, you know, really kind of gives you a bit more of an, an element of geography. Uh, to the facility, the fact that it is a big facility. Yeah. Let's talk about them then, because as you say, part of that shot is a is a mat shot, and some of the gantries and cranes were actual miniatures that were mm. built, weren't they? And then, um, and then they built some physically full size, like the leg sections, didn't they, for the actors? Yeah, but to... they were hardly ever in it. This this was oh. the thing. Norman Reynolds he created the the you know the bottom of the cranes for these sequences where the you know prisoners are running around but you barely ever see it in the film but they went to great expense to actually construct these things on the back lot at Pinewood and they never used them yeah i don't th- i don't think they ever came up because to say it was shot shot up at um at near near 
Sunderland, wasn't it? Is it it's over Dordan? your way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dordan Colliery or something. Blast Beach, yeah. they call it. Uh, yeah. But I don't think they actually ever shot any live action here. I think it was purely just for background plates. It was back plates, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. don't think Sigourney Weaver ever came up here. I mean, the, what for anybody who, who doesn't know, but that, that beach um, is where the sort of the, the shale off the coal used to be dumped. So the beach yeah. actually was black. Uh, so it's like black silt. It's all gone now because it's slowly being washed away. It's not all shot. gone. It's not all gone because here we go. Two years ago, we were on holiday up that way, and it's like all I've right. got to go there. Yeah, as you say, it's called Dordan Bre- Beach, and yeah. um, there was a colliery right next door, and they used to dump all the slag and everything down yeah. onto this beach back in the days before they thought about what the heck are we doing to our seas and since then they've cleaned it up and we went there two years ago and it is the most bizarre place everything has got this nasty rusty residue all all, all the right. there's no sand there it's a pebble beach but all the yeah. pebbles are covered with this tinge of rusty black muck and oh, I've, got right. a couple, I've got a couple of pebbles, actually. I, I, I'll put them on Facebook. I've got mm. a couple of pebbles that I brought back because, you know, I've, I've got um, a couple of pebbles from Fury 161. Um, and it is. Yeah. It's, it's a badly contaminated stretch of uh, shoreline there yeah. where the colliery just dumps stuff down there. And, yeah, yeah that's absolutely the reason why they um, filmed the uh, background plates there. Because when... Alien 3 was first in production. Um, the, the local paper we get here, the, uh, the Evening Gazette, I remember my mum saying to me, she said, oh, there's something in here about a new Alien film. And at that time, uh, ICI Wilton um, was actually open. Imperial Chemical Industries um, had two sites here. There was ICI Wilton and ICI Billingham. And they actually said that they were, they were looking for locations in the ICI Mm-hmm. You know, so and obviously they're industrial sites, you know, kind of blast furnaces and things like that at the time. So, you know, I thought, oh, great, you know, I mean, it, it, and this is all what inspired Ridley Scott in the first place for Blade Runner, you know, all of the, uh, the, the yeah, sure, yeah, the works around here. So it seemed like a logical thing for an alien film to come here, but um, then I heard, never heard anything after that, but then heard about the beach, and um, it, it's either the same beach or just along the coast from the one that was used in Get Carter for the end sequences yeah. and get yeah. Carter uh, where he's with um, oh, I can't remember the name of the actor now who, who, who he he takes down to the beach at the end Ian it's Henry. the guy off uh, yeah, yeah yeah that's the Ian guy Henry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he takes Ian Henry down to the beach at the end and you see the actual thing dumping the shale into the sea <laughs> um, you wouldn't do that now would you dear no, oh dear no. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I mean, as I say, that's the only thing that was filmed outside Pinewood. That's the only yeah. time they went out of Pinewood to actually do any of the filming for this film. And um, um, the effect of the splashing of the craft um, landing in the sea, that was achieved by George Gibbs. And apparently his team detonated 300 pounds of dynamite right. out there. God knows what happened to the fish that was out yeah. there. The, the the one thing that I do remember about the movie in terms of um, David Fincher is, and this is you know very very good in my opinion for Sigourney Weaver as, as a person, because she did stick with Fincher through thick and thin. Mm. Um, you know she's not one of these actresses who kind of then turned the back and said no he did a crap job. You know she she did believe in his vision, 
and she did befriend him and I think she did like what he'd done work-wise. And he has proved himself since. And apparently Brian oh, Glover was very, very friendly with David Fincher as well. You know, he did befriend Brian Glover. Right. Um, I, I think Brian Glover, with him having such like a background in film and TV in the UK, you know, he he, he was one of the ones, again, who I think believed in what he was doing. Mm. Uh, when, the, when the studio were essentially sort of like, you know, messing him about. Uh, but, you know, sometimes... We've probably talked about this before. These films with these kind of tumultuous backgrounds, you know, where there's been sort of all sorts of things going on, are often the more interesting ones to talk about because of just what potentially could have been. And I mean, you know, it mm. can't be fixed now, but you know, you think what could this have been as a third yeah. movie? What should it have been as a third movie? Uh, you know, where did it go wrong? You know, um, there's there's great bits, but then there's equally bad bits. Um, there, there are bits in this film where you're thinking, it's almost a comedy of errors, you know. I mean, mm. besides, you know, all the restructures of, you know, the writers and whatever. I mean, for example, you know, the EEV, you know, when it's pulled yeah. out the sea, they went to a heck of a lot of money and a heck of a lot of uh, expense and time to recreate the EEV in full size. But yeah. it was all for nothing because then they set dressed it with all the seaweed. So they yeah. went to all that trouble to do it. And in the end cut, you don't see anything. You just see this big black blob being lifted yeah. out the sea. And, and, and in the original theatrical cut, you've got this continuity again. You've got the sequence where we already kind of know that Ripley's impregnated at this point mm. when she's on body EV. But then when... We have the Rottweiler on the EEV as it's being crane lifted and he's barking. We see a second facehugger again, yes. kind of cre creeping around from behind the thing. So this is back to the problem of like, we, we, we not only have one facehugger, we've got two. How did, how did that possibly, happen? <laughs> yeah, how, how did two eggs get on board? Yeah. You know, it, it's such such a mess in terms of that. Um, I think J James Cameron always kind of says when you're writing a sequel about I can't remember how he described it but it's a case of you need to sort of like sort of turn things on the head a little bit but he with, with Aliens and Terminator sort of two he seemed to know how to do this right you know you think they would have said to James Cameron at some point look I know you, you're not directing this but can you give us a few pointers as to yeah. how you think we should take the story forward you know and he might have been able to say this is how I would do it this is where the jumping off like point should be, you know. This this is like the logical thing to do, possibly. Um, you know, continue on from there. Mm. Uh, I think I'd possibly mention when we were talking about aliens is one thing, you know, that you could have done was, um, and I, I, I think I did mention this was that um, in this sort of sequence where they're looking around the uh, the colony on the four twenty six. Surely the LV-426 colony would have had some kind of escape vessel. It would have had a mm. shuttle of some kind. So yeah. you could have almost had, like, the ship that crash lands on L on uh, Fury-161. It's, it's full of, like, people who tried to escape from LV-426, but are all dead and already face-huggered. You know, so they bring all these bodies on board yeah. um, who are already essentially, like, you know, got face-huggers inside them. Uh, and the work out, you know, this is a this is a shuttle that's come from, um, you know, LV four twenty six. You know, this we, they know where it's come from. It's a colony. Why is it here? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. But you would you would have had to put the inkling in the in the last movie in Aliens. You would have had to mention you know the fact that you've got a ship that's like left, but they don't know where it's gone. You know, or, or possibly you know Burke knows the ships the the, the shuttles left the the station, but doesn't you know tell anybody else there's a shuttle missing. Mm. You know, you could have just had that little one element of the story, which then logically takes you on to the next. It would have but helped, what, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's what you need. Though when people go on about some of the stuff in movies now, like speaking of the new Star Wars movies, you know, like oh, will Snoke come back in the next movie? Well, unless there's some kind of inkling he'll come back, probably not. You know, you need to give the audience a little bit of a clue that he may come back. You can't just yes. suddenly bring him back without an explanation. <laughs> You know, you, you you need those audiences aren't that bright a lot of the time. You know, you you've got to. And there's of, a gap between films as well. People forget stuff, don't they? Yeah, you know, I think that's what they were probably hoping. It's just like yeah. people just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't really remember. Um, yeah. But then you've got the the fan base who obviously do. You know, um, I mean, in a way, the 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 logic between Alien and Aliens for me doesn't work as well as the logic even between Alien Three and Alien Resurrection. At least in Alien Resurrection, the idea of them being able to clone her sort two hundred years later from the blood that mm. Doctor Doctor Clemens actually took Charles Dance's character actually does yeah. have a logic behind it. Yeah, yeah. You know that that it's not necessarily a great movie for it, but there's a there's a thing. Yeah, he did take blood from her. It's DNA. They've managed to clone it. It's took them two hundred years, but they've done it. Yeah. Um. You know, so that that makes more sense. This is the one out of the movies which hasn't got that logic for me. No. Um, no. And and to to start, I mean, we we haven't talked about it, but the it is a very distasteful sequence when they actually do the autopsy on Newt. Mm. And I think it's slightly even more distasteful in the assembly cut. I think you see sort of more of it happening. I I don't think, you know. It, I didn't want to see that, you know. No, no. Leave it to your imagination, eh? Yeah, yeah. Like, let's go and do an autopsy on you and come back and say the results are clear. But to actually see them physically, like, crunching bone and stuff like that... You don't is not, need it. ...is not no. nice, you know. Definitely no. not. And I, and I think Sigourney Weaver actually said to Carrie Hen when they went to see it, you know, by by the way, there's a sequence here where, you know, there's an autopsy on you and yeah. Carrie Hemp was obviously a bit older by then, uh, but um, you know to sort of see the character that you played, and then suddenly she's dead. Mm. We know Michael Bean obviously got a massive payout because they used his image, and he didn't. Get I was going to say, it. do you know the thing about you know he heard yeah. about they that they had done a like a sculpt of him, and uh, he contacted his his lawyer and said uh, they can't do that without my permission, and he you, you know um, threatened to sue. So they had to pull out, and now he regrets it because you know if he had known what David Fincher was going to go on to do, he would have, <laughs> you know, allowed it from the get-go. I thought he got a payout, didn't he? He because did get a payout, but yeah, I think the, he was the, a bit the, belligerent the do, in it. Yeah, they do use his image, I think. Uh, There's a photo of him, isn't there? Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I'm sure I heard that he got more for the payout than he actually got paid for That's aliens. Right for aliens, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, for, for not being in the movie. Yeah, uh, but you know anybody who's uh, listening to this who's not watched all of the documentaries on the uh, the, the four disc sort of Blu-ray DVD set, you know, the, they are worth well worth uh, mm. watching. I mean, in a way, you know, I'd rather probably watch the documentaries about Alien Three and Alien Resurrection than actually watch the movies because it's all about what 
potentially could have been and what went wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, especially yeah. with this one. Uh, and just the, the, the I mean, the, the Vincent Ward idea is just ludicrous beyond the extreme, isn't it? When you, you think about it, you know, who, who greenlit an idea about monks <laughs> on a wooden planet? You know, it just, it's just beyond bizarre. It is beyond bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Ha, ha, you know, H.R. Giger was involved from the start. You know, um, Fincher went across to Zurich to see him yeah. Yeah. and he was coming up with designs. He also took some of um, Tom Woodruff and Alec Gill- Gillis's um, um, preliminary sketches and he yeah. wasn't a big fan of them. Um oh. Say, saying that there's no, there's not much similarity to his alien, yeah. And this is where you start to get the beginnings of a bit of a rift because ADI, you know, Woodruff and Gillix's uh, company, they could consider themselves in charge of the creatures design for the third third film, though yeah. um, with respect to Giga because it was his baby, you know. Yeah. But Giga kind of thought that he was in charge, and that's where you had a bit of a uh problem going on there yeah i think in my opinion and this is by no means any disrespect to hr giga because he was an incredible artist uh but his the stuff he was building just wouldn't have worked in this movie you know he had like completely different ideas i think yeah. you know um the, the 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 first aliens masterpiece you know the the space jockey and everything are absolutely amazing um but when you sort of see the stuff in the book that he was sculpting for this, like he had kind of the, the creature on all fours and yeah, a little bit like more... Fe- a leopard version, wasn't it? Yeah, a bit it, more something? feminine. You think it, it works as a sculpture, but I don't think it would have ever translated into 3D, you know, as into into an actual physical moving object. Um, and I think, you know, in a way, Giga's a great ideas man, but I think it's almost like, you know, like when you see sort of like catwalks and people coming down the catwalk in fashion stuff and you think nobody in the right mind will ever wear that. But then yeah. the, peop- the people at the side are probably drawing up the this kind of the domestic, kind of the retail version of what's on the catwalk. And I think that's kind of what Gillis and um, Woodruff did is they took kind of an idea which was just way beyond anything that could possibly ever work. Yeah. and try to sort of sanitise it down to a workable creature. It um, is very strange to see, you know, these, like, panther, leopard-like designs. And it was Fincher's idea to make it more voluptuous and sexy. And it was his idea to give it... Wasn't it Michelle Pfeiffer's lips? He wanted yeah, Michelle the, the, Pfeiffer's lips on it. Yeah, there's one version where it actually has, like, human lips. And you think... Yeah. If it was a much more Cronenberg surreal movie um fair enough but um for the alien movie you know i just you know i I can see why like giga i mean even i think the stuff that he designed for prometheus uh because i think uh, there's some of the stuff in the art of i think that the i think scott like felt like he had to like at least run stuff by giga but i don't think anything was actually sort of used i think he felt like obliged to sort of bring him on board yeah yeah um you know, Gillis and, Gillis and Woodruff, um, they did obviously go on then to pretty much own the alien in a way in the sort of the sequel to this resurrection and then the AVP movies. Um, and then it's kind of been taken out of their hands now because uh, of, uh, you know, Ridley Scott not using them for, for Prometheus a Covenant. Mm. Um, but 
you know, they, they did some good work, but um, I think it was much more kind of commercial work in a way. It never quite had the sort of the the terror that the original Alien ever had, or even what Winston did with Aliens in mm. terms of you know the um, it, it did become more and more watered down, and I think that's the problem is with a creature like this. Um, I often say this about any type of movie, whether it's like a Friday the Thirteenth or whether it's a Nightmare on Elm Street or even a film like Robocop. Is as soon as you start moving on to the next one, you, you're watering the, the what made the yes. first one. You know that lightning in a bottle is suddenly getting weaker and weaker, um, and you know it's very very difficult to capture that magic again. And you know that's why few sequels actually work. And to get a third one and a fourth one. Um, you know, any anything that's a comedy, whether it's a police academy or an, an airplane, you know, the the, the jokes are the fresh, the the fantastic the first time, but then the second time, well, we've seen this joke before, or mm. we've had this scare before if it's a horror film, um, or we've had this bit of action before if it's the Matrix. You know, we've we've seen Bullet Time, so you know, it sort of shows why sequ- sequels in movies just don't seem to work. I mean, I think you can get away with it in the book because in the book, your imagination's there and. You know, you can think of stuff yourself, but with a creature. Um, I think I'd said this previously about the Lord of the Rings films, you know, how I thought the ring wraiths worked really, really well in the first movie when they're on horseback, but by this sort of third movie where they're riding around in giant dragons, yes. they just seemed like they're kind of a little <laughs> bit more like less threatening for some reason. Yeah, they're much absolutely. more mysterious in the shadows on a horse. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the alien, you know, fin- Fincher tried to take it back to sort of it to its roots. Um, with the single alien, um, but yeah, as a as a as a movie where you're meant to root for characters or be satisfied storyline-wise, it just didn't work. Mm. Uh, you know, you re you really needed, I think, for me, you know, to have Newt and Hicks still alive, and you know, possibly yeah. Hicks sacrifices life at the end to let Newt and Ripley escape, and you know. Um, Think things like that. I, I I wouldn't have been happy with that. I wanted him to live. I wanted them yeah. three to go off. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the end of story. You know, yeah. See, and 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 that's the problem. You see, now we're back to this sort of thing about the uh, the, the Neil Blomkamp idea. You know, of like let's re sort of do Alien Three for the, what the fans wanted. But you think, mm. but it's a long time after. I mean, you know, Aliens was nineteen eighty six. You know, it's like over thirty odd years ago. You know, everybody's way, way older. What were we meant to believe happened in the thirty years in between? Yeah. Um, and and this is one of the things I'm worried about now is we've got films like Halloween and we've got films we've got Robocop that's talking about doing another sequel to. Um and there's something else, uh I can't remember what that was, where it's almost like, Hey, let's go back and do a proper sequel to this movie. And forget about forget about the other five films we've just like had over the years. We're going to go back. So forget about RoboCop two and three, or forget about Halloween two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We're going to go back and do a proper sequel to Halloween. Mm. But then you know, if you did that with Alien and did a proper Alien three, you can't help deny that there was a third Alien and a fourth Alien. It, yeah, you exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. That's the problem that you've got. And if it if it if it comes out and it's equally as bland or equally as bad, you're going to go, oh, well, they've really screwed that one up, haven't they? You yeah. Know? <laughs> so you, you know, can't the, the, win, can you? You just can't no, win. No, 
you know, pe people have seen a handful of concepts that Neil Blomkamp had done and said, this is going to be amazing. But you think, you've got no proof it's going to be amazing. You've got a handful of concepts. No, no. indeed. You know, indeed. There, there, there was a thing recently um, I was listening to with the guy who's been doing the Hellraiser films recently, and he said there was this, uh, like, fan-made trailer which showed you pinhead in this sort of ocean of bodies in hell and he said it lasts about a minute and a half two minutes and everybody raved about how amazing this vision of hellraiser looked and he said but we've got essentially a two minute kind of concept piece hmm. we need we need now another one hour 58 minute worth of script <laughs> to pad that out you know and that's right. what you need yeah you've got a handful of concept pieces by neil blomkamp for a third alien film but what's the rest of the movie about? You know, we you actually need a coherent story and everything, not just some nice drawings that potentially, you know, would would could be a good movie. You know, you, you, plus, oh, that's it, Terminator. You're wrong about doing another Terminator movie, aren't they? Yes. James Cameron's producing, which is going to do away with Terminator 3, Terminator 4, Terminator 5, and go back to be a sequel to Terminator 2. But again, Linda Hamilton's back, but now she's way, way older. She's... Mm. Again, another 25 years older than she yeah. was. So forget the other ones, yes. Yeah, but now we've got to then suddenly believe she's 25 years older and what happened in between. Yeah. Uh, will Edward Furlong be back or will he, Will they recast him? Because if they recast him, it's not John Connor anymore. Hmm. You know, so the, there's all those kind of problems. Um, so you've just got to like, you know, Alien 3 was a misfire. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I, I only really I watched the first two. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Yeah. I think that uh, I think a massive problem Alien Three has got is it happened at the wrong time. You're at that point where uh, film is going over from practical effects into CGI. Yeah. Um, you, you you've got a production that was troubled all the way through. You know, yeah. uh, for many many reasons. So they're trying to do things, and you know some of the things that they were doing were effective and they worked. You know, I mean, like the the. The, the guy falling into the fan earlier that we were talking about, you know, that's an old school effect. They had a dummy and they filled yeah. it up with, you know, uh, blood bags and stuff like yeah. that, you know. Um, and then they tried putting, you know, the Bambi Burster suit on a Whippet, you know, yeah. which didn't oh, which... work. They were trying old school effects, but at the same yeah. time, you're almost at this point, as I say, with Terminator 2, Jurassic Park was just round the corner. Um it was in this interim stage and, you know, you had many, many, many problems on this film and mm. it, you know, it just didn't help. All these things harmed it, didn't it? If it had occurred, you know, five years before, five years after, maybe yeah. it might have um, been more palatable, but there, yeah. I, I, it, it harmed it all. Yeah, that you know, it is that kind of, with a lot of movies, you know, the, the Star Wars and, um, you know, Indiana Jones, you, you tend to get the sequel about three three years later, don't you? There's a you know now they're coming thick and fast sequels to movies, but back then it was like a probably like two or three year between movies. Yeah. And I say this this did have that kind of equal gap between what Alien and Aliens had, which was six or seven years. Although it was in development probably four years, you know, before that in various <laughs> screenplay forms, but. Yeah. You know why? Why nobody could nail down a decent idea is is beyond me. I know that um, the the one by William Gibson was was deemed to be far too sort of substantial in terms of 
what was going to be built for sets was a space station involved and you know things like that so i think that they the looked at his and said you know this is going to cost way too much to make uh but you know even the early teasers for alien 3 had like alien almost like arriving on earth didn't it had that kind yeah. of egg shot on earth below so i think people assumed alien is coming to earth yeah uh, and that never happened um you know, which is an unusual teaser trailer to actually have Earth on in in the view. Yeah, and it's it's definitely Earth. It's not meant to be Fury. It's it, it's it's Earth. So, so what do you but, what do you reckon on of it? You you know, after everything we've been talking about, you know, tonight, what what is your stance on it uh, um, right now, Andrew? What would you give it for special effects for the whole thing? I'd probably sort of just have to give it something like a six out of ten, really, because it's it is hit and miss. Um, you know, I think I think even some of the the the, the effects, all of the technically good, aren't necessarily sort of that sort of memorable. Um, you know, some some do stand out, but some are just technically good, but average average ideas. Mm. You know, th- th- there's nothing in it. Where you think oh, that really, really sort of stands out as a shot, besides Sid, probably the animatronic bishop and stuff. Um, you know, there's so many memorable shots in Alien and Aliens, which I can just picture in my head, but I don't think Alien 3 has the same sort of thing. They're just serving the story, um, mm. and they're not really memorable for any other reason. Um, yeah, it's, it's, for, for all its sort of like elaborate sets and its nice lighting and stuff there's nothing in the movie as a sequence i don't think where i think uh, even if i just put on i've got to watch that sequence yeah you know because i think it is very sort of uniform just all the way through um you know even the end sequence of like trying to lure the alien into the thing it just it's an okay sequence but it doesn't really really you know bring the movie anything beyond anything else that's happened yeah uh, that I think it might, it might be because she, it might be because you're not invested in the characters. Yeah, there there is that. If you didn't know the characters, maybe. But yeah, no, that word you use there, uniform. I think that sums it up. You know, it is. It's uniform. It's pedestrian. There's no wow. I got. I want to watch that bit again. You know. Yeah. Um, Alien, aliens. You can choose what five, six, seven, eight. Moments, oh yeah, def- special definitely. effects sequences where you could put them on and go, "Wow, this is fantastic!" Yeah. Not in this film, um, yeah. and because of that reason, I'm going to join you in a six. Okay, yeah. and I mean, I know we are going to talk about resurrection in the future, and we know what <laughs> sequence we're going to talk about, and it yep. is a standout sequence. Yeah, you know, it, 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 whether it, you know, that sequence in in resurrection still holds up in terms of its actual technical abilities. It's a sequence everybody remembers. Um, and I don't think Alien 3 has sequences like that, that no. anybody would say, you know, oh, what about that, you know, what about the dropship explosion sort of thing? And, you know, in Aliens, people remember it. What about the the firefight, you know, uh, where they come through the tiles? Mm. Uh, the the, no. the power load. Alien you know, 3 hasn't got any of that, has it? No, no, definitely not. You know, there's, there's not one sort of single sequence, I don't think, where you'd sort of think, well, Oh yeah, you know, if it's on TV, I've got to hang around for that sequence. <laughs> Not in this film, no. Yeah, no. and All unfortunately, right. it has probably got to that point with me where I I will not really think about putting it on on the Blu-ray, even though I do have the set. But if it was probably on Channel Four movies and I'm skipping past and it's on, I'll mm. probably sit and watch twenty, twenty-five, thirty minutes of it. You know, yeah. Um, 
if it's on, but I wouldn't go out of my way to think, you know, I'll, I'll put it on besides what I, I, I watched it for for this podcast yeah, yeah. a couple of nights ago. Yeah, I think but, you uh, perfectly summed it up there, Andrew. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for today. Yeah. Great again. Yeah. Alien Resurrection will be coming at some point. <laughs> But yeah. not for a while. So don't no. hold your breath if you're waiting for it, okay? Yeah. And and we will be talking about specific sequences in that as opposed to just the uh, generalized. That, that, yeah, yeah. Um that is one particular sequence we'll be talking in that film, all right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All Speak right. to you later. All right. Thank bye you, bye. Andrew. Cheers, matey. Bye bye.